The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry was published in 1905 and follows a young poor couple struggling to buy gifts for one another. They of course do, but by sacrificing what the other had bought the gift for, the girl her hair and the man his watch. Today, we'll be in the holiday spirit as we discuss the theme, the title, and the true meaning of Christmas. This is Analytical. Hello! Hello, hello. I'm Hannah. And I'm John. And we're your favorite literary nerds. Back to back in a week! For like, the first time in forever. <laughs> For the first time in forever. We can't afford Frozen either. <laughs> I'm sure that falls under satire slash parody because you were terrible. Oh my gosh, that hurt. That's the most like complete burn I've ever had, ever. That hurt. That really hurt. I wasn't trying to sing well. I am a decent singer. Today we are going to be discussing a Christmas classic, The Gift of the Magi. Now there's been many iterations of this and retellings. I know for one, there's a Mickey Mouse retelling of it. There's different stories, versions of it in movies. But at its core, it is about a young couple that just wants to give a gift to one another. The first thing I want to say about the story, since you brought this up, Hannah, saying it's a classic Christmas story, is what makes a Christmas story? Wow, that's what a question. I would like to reference a TikTok I saw where there's there are seven S's of Christmas. I don't remember them, but I think a, what makes a Christmas story is kind of like it doesn't have to be a sacrifice, but a little bit of a sacrifice. And you know, there's love and affection and just jolly good spirits. Okay, okay. Well, because for some, a Christmas story is just any story that falls under Christmas time. So any story that like has a Christmas tree in it is therefore a Christmas story. Do you think that argument is a good one? Not necessarily. I think that there does have to be like a meaning behind it and kind of like a tale. It can't just be like, oh, look, we're at Hogwarts and there's a Christmas tree because Harry Potter is not a Christmas story. But like Die Hard, it kind of is a Christmas story. Okay, okay. So you think that's more important about like the, the whole theme of sacrifice is what you need for Christmas? Kind of. I mean, not necessarily. I just think that you have to have you know, like a motive behind it and like the the jolliness. Now, Die Hard's not a great Christmas story, but it does take place during Christmas. He's trying to like save something for his family. Christmas. Okay, okay, Christmas. I can see it. What do you think makes a Christmas story? You know, I don't really think I have the authority to say that this is a Christmas story or this isn't. So I, I personally would say that Die Hard isn't a Christmas story. I don't think you just can just slap a Christmas tree in any old story and say, wow, now it's Christmas. This is now a Christmas story. I think that they're just, I, I agree with you, there has to be like a meaning behind it, kind of like a parable or whatever. Just kind of, there, you're, there's supposed to be a point to a Christmas story. Just because a story falls on a Christmas time does not have enough substance to make it a Christmas story to me. I would say Die Hard isn't really a Christmas story, it's an action story. That's fair, I think it's a Christmas action story. But the only Christmas part about it is that it's Christmas time. Is Home Alone a Christmas story? I want to say yes, but I know it's like not. Like it's it's a classic Christmas movie, I'd say, but I wouldn't say the story itself is very Christmassy. I think Home Alone is like Die Hard, but for kids. I would agree with that. So I think it's a Christmas action story. I just don't know if it has enough like Christmas for me. Okay. To be a Christmas story. Okay. So I think it's interesting that you brought up a parable because at the core of this, it's called the gift of the Magi and kind of is a little bit biblical in nature. Yeah, there is a lot of biblical allusions too. Exactly. The Magi were the wise men or wise people who brought gifts to Jesus. Historically, they say three, 
but technically the Bible never says. Fun little trivia question I've seen thrown around a few times. But there are three gifts brought to Jesus on the night of his birth. It's interesting that that's what they titled this, since there are just two people and it's not like three gifts. And so that's an interesting thing to look at is like, why did he call it the gift of the Magi? Well, in the last paragraph of the story, he brings up the point of the Magi that he's trying to make through the story. The last paragraph says, The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a... But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. So Henry just directly says that these two people were the Magi. And I don't know if I understand this last paragraph at all. No, I definitely think it needs a deeper dissection. <laughs> a little bit of analyzing, if you will. But I think it's a really interesting way that he phrases it. The Magi, he says, were the wisest people. They were the wise men that brought gifts to Jesus. But why were their gifts wise as opposed to these two who sacrificed foolishly, he says, but then they are called the wisest? I think, just kind of basing it, the wise men are always depicted as being like very like rich men who brought rich gifts to God. But then... The two characters in the story are very poor, they don't have very much money, and yet they sacrifice what they consider to be their greatest treasures for the other one, which I think love is actually their greatest treasure here. Get a little bit sappy, but I think it's supposed to be that they cared more about their partner than they did themselves. That was a long speech from me. I'm sorry for that monologue. It was good. I liked it. Um, I also think that what you were saying kind of connects to another Bible story. I, I could All I could think of was the woman who gave all she had and then the guy that gave like just like a tenth of what he had. And Jesus said that the girl gave or the woman gave more because she like gave all she had. Makes me think a lot of that. I was literally about to point that out too. That's all I could think of too. And I think, oh, Henry might be trying to adapt that parable with this story. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of connections between that, and there's just a lot of Bible stuff in here, so I don't know if he's trying to connect that one specifically or just trying to like throw in a lot of Bible references. It could be a little bit of both. I do think you see a lot more of the giving holy of yourself. Well, there's just a lot of Bible references, I mean, throughout the rest of the story. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, like, I mean, with her losing her hair, that's kind of Samson. There's just all of them all throughout the story. It's kind of like, oh, like, oh, I, was, I remember this one, and it's just like Bible. Mm-hmm. That's a fair point about Samson. I actually hadn't thought of that as much. I wonder if there's also a little bit in her name being Della, as in, like, Delilah and Samson, too. Exactly. That, there's just a lot of connections between this. I guess you know your Bible a little better than me, because I didn't make that connection. <laughs> Grandma's going to listen and be disappointed in you. That's okay. I'll give it a read someday. So I think that the title and the being titled The Gift of the Magi kind of just brings in the theme as well. Whenever you first read it, you already know you're going to get a Christmas story. You know that it might be about the wise men in some cases, and... While it's not necessarily about them, you know it's going to be about gift-giving and, you know, the magic of Christmas. So with that whole theme of gift-giving, I have a question for you, Hannah. Who gave more? Oh, you mean between the two of them? Yeah, between the two of them. I want to say they both did, but I know it's the man because she can grow her hair back. He can't go get the watch back as easily. Yes, that, that was my thought as well. And I don't know why I thought about that, but it just kind of like the story feels a little unfair to me. 
because the guy did like sell his watch and he can't ever get that back. But she's just going to grow new hair. I mean, her hair will grow back. I will point out, though, that it was down to her knees. It says that, that it was down. She unfolded it down to her knees. Honestly, that takes a lot of time to grow it out that long. I mean, yes, she can grow it back and it might not be the same or a different texture. You know, sometimes when people cut their hair, it can change. But I do agree. I think he did give a little bit more. It was a family heirloom from his grandpa to his father to him. And he did it for combs. I wonder if that's if O. Henry meant to like pull upon like maybe men sacrifice more than women. Or if it's not, if we're looking too much into it. I, I don't know. I think there definitely is something there. And I don't know if it's just like, oh, the guy gets shafted in the end. Or if it's just like there's an actual point to it. I don't know. And it's also interesting because in the story, you see Della. And you see Della crying over not having enough money. And then you see her, like, realizing what she needs to do. And it also makes you wonder, because we don't see Jim doing it as much. Did Jim do it sooner? Had he already sold the watch? Was he already ready? Had he already made his decision? Well, Della realized it later. Yeah. I don't know. Her hair must have been real expensive because they said she gets $20 a week, like as a wages or whatever, which it doesn't ever say what they work. But then they so, also got $20 for her hair. So yes, to go back to that, yes, $20 a week for the, was his wages and it recently dropped from 30. So I'm just going to assume that $20 is like the lowest wage you can get. So for minimum wage, 40 hour work week at $7.25 national, or um, yeah, um, federal minimum wage, $7.25, that's $290 a week. So twenty dollars would be two hundred and ninety. So her hair was worth like up like almost three hundred dollars, assuming he was making minimum wage. I mean, when you look at like prices of wigs and stuff, it kind of seems right. Like that's how much a wig cost. I know this from Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm curious about the inflation because I know we talked about it before. We said we're not going to worry about it, but now I'm worried about it. So. We're going to look up the inflation real quick. We'll cite our sources. Just a minute. There's a nice USinflationcalculator.com that I will be using for this. What year was the story? From? 1905 was when it was published. Okay. So, yeah. Just around the turn of the century. Oh, it says purchasing, though. So, I don't know if that's a diff same. Okay. That site doesn't work. That site <laughs> doesn't trick. work. We're cutting that then, Hannah. <laughs> We're going to go to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics.gov. BLS.gov and see how well that works. This one's really neat. You can actually do the month, so we'll know for sure. Oh, it only goes to 1913. Okay, so inflation calculator apparently only goes to 1913. It does not let you do anything past that. It's close, though. So we'll try it. Well, also, you have to remember that inflation differs for different things. That's true. So, like, minimum wage has been 725 since it was enacted. Or, I mean, federal, at least. Like, Whereas, like, gas prices have inflated differently, um, college prices have inflated differently, everything inflates differently. That's true. So, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics.gov, it should be, from $20, should be about $520 and, like, 50 cents. So, <laughs> minimum wage is not <laughs> increased with the what the Bureau of Labor and Statistics well, says I don't even should. think they had a minimum wage in 1905. That's true. And also, we had to go from 1913, so it could be a little bit different as well. No, there wasn't a minimum wage until FDR was president. Or at least a federal minimum wage. But do we really want to get into all the politics of... <laughs> no, no, no. This isn't a politics talk, but I was just saying that that is kind of involved in that, though, is the money thing. It's kind of a big part of this, and I think just saying, like, $20 is a very blanket statement that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Yes, and so we do need to realize when it was written and just kind of put it into perspective of now... So, it'd be about $300 for her hair. 
from anywhere from 300 to 500, depending on what we look at. So yeah, that would be pretty uh, impressive. It did say she had hair down to her knees, and then later it says she like tried to curl it back up and looked like a schoolboy. So I'm assuming like Shirley Temple curls after she curled it. So like around her face, face framing curls, she had very short hair from down to her knees. Depending on how tall she is, that's like over three feet of hair. Yeah, that's insane. It's a lot of hair. I have a question for you, John. Is this the first time you've read this story? It is not the first time I've read this. I've read this story a lot, actually, throughout, like, middle school and high school. No, probably just middle school was the first time I read it, and then high school, and then I just read it recently for my last semester of classes. So do you think coming back to it now changes any perspective of it, as opposed to your first time, middle time, Well, I think, time? <laughs> I think I've never remembered the name of the story, so it's always like, oh, the gift of the Magi, and I am not expecting this story of, like, love and affection between these two humans. I'm expecting, like, oh, this journey of these three wise men. So it was just kind of a shock to me, I guess. It's like, oh, oh, this is the gift of the Magi. Oh, yes, I remember now. And then I just, like, know the story. And it's, it's, it's smooth sailing from then on out, but there's that moment a shock for me. Which kind of takes us back to the title and what, you know it's a Christmas story, but it's not what you're expecting. Yeah, I think if you just tell someone, yeah, read The Gift of the Magi, this is not the story they are looking for. Like, that, that's not for me, at least. It's never. That, like, if someone says Gift of the Magi, I don't ever think of this story. That's a fair point. I think I had read it before. I maybe even got read to me in, like, elementary school, or we read it, you know, as a group or something. But I feel like I've always known about this story but I can agree that I don't know if I ever always knew the title, especially when in high school we read it in Spanish, so it's a different translation, and it's just kind of a fun, interesting thing. You're like, oh, do I actually remember it or not? It's just not a very fitting title, yeah. So that makes, like, the little... I think the whole story was written for that last paragraph at the end, and maybe he wrote that last paragraph first and then wrote a story around that paragraph. I can see that happening as well, but I think he definitely wrote the story with the last paragraph in mind. Like, it was for that last paragraph, and that's... That kind of, like, going back to the first thing we addressed, kind of addresses the whole Christmas story thing. Like, he had a point to this story. It was definitely intended as a learning point. Yes. So that kind of ties into what we want to finish out talking about, the true meaning of Christmas. So you brought up what makes a Christmas story, and not just the movie A Christmas Story, but what makes a story a Christmas-themed story. And I think it is interesting that you say he wrote that paragraph first, because I've written some things before, and I know that sometimes you write parts and then you change it around, and you never know how your thing's going to turn out. So I, I do agree that he could have written this last and been like, this is the point I want to make, and then went from there to make the point. Thank you. <laughs> leave, you that, wanna, leave that break in. Do you want to expand upon the true meaning of Christmas a little bit? I don't know the true meaning of Christmas. I'm not going to claim to be that authority. I think I can confidently say that it's different for a lot of people. And I think for the vast majority of people, they think it's one thing and they're actually practicing another kind of Christmas. So I think a lot of America I see is just a lot of consumers around the Christmas time, which I think isn't the most, I don't think is the best way for like Christmas time to be heading towards just this like consumerism thing. I think that's kind of what it is. And a lot of people just think that it's a time for religion. And that is another good look at it too. If you look back to its roots, Jesus wasn't really born around Christmas time. They figured that out, um, and they just kind of placed it in that time to cover over pagan holidays. I don't know. It's an interesting thing to look at the true meaning of Christmas, because what is the true meaning of Christmas? I don't think I can say. I think everyone has their own different, like, idea of it, and I think a lot of people choose to believe in the happy little go-lucky, like, ah, family togetherness, which is great. That's a good summary, I think. I can agree that I do think some parts of Christmas are moving towards more consumerism, how you see it starting earlier and earlier, you know, overtaking Halloween, 
going in like Christmas in July with some movies. And I think it's fine if you want to be the holly and jolly and be happy because people have fond memories associated with Christmas, but not everyone does. And, you know, there's national statistics about depression and anxiety getting worse around the holidays. And it is different for everyone. I think with this story, the true meaning of Christmas is the sacrifice and love. And I do think that a lot of stories show that. So I think we go with that being the true meaning of Christmas. We'll end with the sacrifice and you said sacrifice and love? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make. So great work. Oh, good. Do you want to expand on what you were going to make first? Um, yeah, sure, I'll say it. But like, with the sacrifice and love comes a lot of like familiar connections and just like being around people that like you love and make you happy. And I was going to like, I didn't, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't listening fully to you the first time. So when you said love, I didn't exactly register it in my brain. <laughs> so I was going to bring that point up, but you already made it. So that's perfect. I would hate to think how many people zone out on my voice and they're like, oh good, John's talking again. <laughs> it's okay if you do. I'm just the one who talks a little bit more. <laughs> that's how it goes. Someone has to. <laughs> You'd just be sitting in silence if it was just John. I had to get a dig back in for earlier. That's fair. That's fair. <sighs> well, we are going to go get some aloe vera for our burns. <laughs> Maybe get some ice from the snow. It's actually like 50 degrees outside here, but it works. Global warming. We hope you have a very happy holidays. Merry Christmas, if you choose to celebrate that. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa. Happy New Year. And we will see you next week with Rip Van Winkle. I guess we do have another week, so before the New Year. So forget the Happy New Year. I'll get you (laughs) that next week. Bye. See ya. Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland. It is edited by John Newland. The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland. The theme music you're jamming to now was created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com. Web design is by Hannah Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com analytical. And you can find that link in the description. All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life. Please rate and review us, and subscribe to our podcast, and tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well. Shut up, I'm